America's first polio case in nearly a decade was discovered in Rockland County, New York this spring. There are now believed to be hundreds of cases in the area. Polio was one of the most feared diseases in the U.S. in the early 1950s. It caused more than 15,000 cases of paralysis in a year. That all changed in 1955. Today, the tragedy of paralytic polio can be prevented in individuals protected by all three recommended doses of polio vaccine. However, there are still millions of Americans who have received only one or two of the doses, or none at all. These are today's potential victims. You can avoid all the expense, suffering, and heartache that paralytic polio causes if you make use of the vaccine that is now available. That was a public service announcement from the 1950s urging Americans to get the new polio vaccine. My dad was born in 1938, before the vaccine was available, and he contracted polio as a young child. The disease left him with a severe limp, and he suffered from related muscle weakness later in life. I saw the effects of polio on my dad's life, and some of you shared your own memories of how the disease shaped your lives. My parents cried when the polio vaccine came out. We have eight children and very vulnerable. We were not allowed to swim in municipal swimming pools in the summer. My family, we collected uh, dimes for the March of Dimes polio research. My best friend's mother had polio and her poor withered legs. She needed crutches all her life. Libby, thanks for sharing that story. For 40 years, the U.S. has been polio-free. How do we make sure polio doesn't return to the U.S.? And what should you be doing to protect yourself and your loved ones? We'll discuss all that and more after the break. I'm Jen White. You're listening to the 1A Podcast, where we get to the heart of the story. We'll be back with more from you and our guests after the break. Let's get into our conversation by welcoming Dr. Jose R. Romero. He's the director of the CDC's National Center for Immunization and Respiratory Diseases. Dr. Romero, welcome. Thank you, Ms. White. Thank you very much. And thank you for sharing that personal anecdote with us. Of course. Now, now this case in Rockland County, New York, was the first documented polio case in the U.S., as I said, in nearly a decade. Why are we seeing new cases appear now? Uh, It has to do with the fact that uh, immunization rates are lower in some communities than in others. And so with an incursion of polio uh, and a a polio virus that can cause um, paralysis, those populations are extremely vulnerable. Um, This is a disease, as you mentioned before, that can be prevented by a a vaccine that has, uh, we have experience with for over 50 years, it's safe and effective. So uh, people can take, uh, take control of this and prevent this disease by taking the vaccine. Now, the man who contracted the virus was unvaccinated against polio. Here's a clip a clip of Chief Medical Advisor Dr. Anthony Fauci speaking to NPR yesterday about vaccination rates in the county where the outbreak started. Polio is 99% preventable by vaccines. If you look at certain places in New York, such as in Rockland County, only about 60% of the children are vaccinated. And in some sections of the county, as few as 37%. Vaccinated. That's unacceptable. We've got to get the children vaccinated. How do these rates square up with the rest of the country? So they're much lower. So overall, in the United States, uh, it, we're about 94 to 95 percent uh, vaccinated. Um, and even in New York State, it's 93 to 94 percent of the population has antibodies uh, to the polio from vaccination. 
So how is the CDC planning to reach places like Rockland County with low vaccination rates? So um, let me begin by saying that, uh, that uh, New York State Department of Health is, is leading this effort. And CDC is there to support and, and to aid them in any way possible. So what we've done um, so far is we've sent an uh, epidemiologic assistance team or an FEA team to help uh, gather data. Uh, to also help provide vaccine uh, and uh, um, logistical support to the state. But um, we are trying to um, talk with uh, influencers in the community, thought leaders in the community, uh, to explain why we need to get vaccinated. Uh, 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 our director, Dr. Walensky, um, and uh, the um, uh, uh, Department of Health's director have sent out a joint letter um, informing the public about why this is important. Um, and as I understand it from pediatricians in the area, this has resulted in more parents uh, seeking vaccination for their children. Dr. Romero, why is the vaccination rate so low in that county? Um, I, I think as with, with all uh, places where there are, uh, there's reluctance or hesitancy to accept the vaccine, there are a number of factors. Uh, you know, they can, be, they can be cultural, they can be um, uh, misinformation, disinformation that penetrated the, envi- the environment. Uh, so I think it's multifactorial. Um, it, it, it's just something that has gone on. And of course, as you mentioned, you know, with a fall in vaccination rates uh, during the COVID uh, pandemic, uh, we need to catch up and we need to push forward and get these children up to date. Uh, this is a, this is a, a, a good um, reminder for the general public that these diseases are still with us. They're not gone. And we are a society, a global society, where you can travel from one part of the world to the United States in 18 hours and can carry with you potentially infectious uh, preventable disease. Well, so far, again, there is one confirmed paralytic case in Rockland County, but wastewater samples in the area suggest there may be more. Scientists say one paralytic case is typically an indicator of several hundred cases in an area. Why is even a small number of polio cases something we should be concerned about? Yes. So it's because when we see one single case, it is the very tip of an iceberg. So in the case of this particular virus, we estimate that about 2,000 individuals are infected for every one case we see. And so most of this, most of polio is what we call subclinical or without symptoms. Um, and, and so the infection goes silently spreading through the community and can spread to large numbers of individuals before you see an actual case. And that's why uh, we're, we're concerned about these individuals that are not uh, vaccinated. The CDC is fighting the spread of multiple viruses right now, including uh, SARS-CoV-2, monkeypox. Where does polio fit into the CDC's current vaccination strategy? Uh, this is an important issue for the CDC, um, and it's at the forefront of our efforts right now. Uh, we are capable of handling multiple fronts at one time, um, and uh, we view this as an important issue. Uh, we've uh, examined our vaccine supplies and are able to meet the demand and actually exceed the demand if necessary. We are here to help New York State get these vaccines out. Now, technically, the U.S. is still considered polio-free because no wild cases have originated in the country. Explain exactly what that means. Yes. So um, we were certified as polio-free uh, previously, and that meant that we had no cases of wild-type polio. So that is the type that exists out in the, in, in, in the environment, in areas where it's not fully vaccinated. You're not fully vaccinated. 
this vaccine, this strain that caused the, the paralysis is uh, derived or comes from a vaccine strain of oral poliovirus. This is a, a vaccine derived strain. And in populations, in, in places where you don't have a good coverage for polio, that type of a vaccine, that oral vaccine can be shed by an individual who receives it and can spread in the population and change over time to become virulent or cause disease. And that's what's happened here. So someone went somewhere where oral polio virus was being, vaccine was being used, oral polio virus vaccine was being used, um, and there wasn't good coverage. They picked up a vaccine-derived polio virus and brought it into the United States. That's what's causing disease. There are additional concerns. We could see outbreaks of other viruses, um, measles, for instance, because of disruptions to vaccine routines. How concerned should we be? I think we should all have a heightened level of, of, of focus on this. Um, we saw vaccination rates fall during the two and a half years of the, of the COVID pandemic so far. We're starting to catch up, but we still have a large number of children that are susceptible, in particular to measles, which is highly, highly contagious. And so we need to go ahead and get those children vaccinated and bring them up to their uh, the current uh, uh, recommendations for vaccine. Also, as you know, there's misinformation and disinformation about vaccines. Our vaccine supply is safe, effective, and we need to make sure that that message gets out to everyone. That's Dr. Jose R. Romero. He's the director of the CDC's National Center for Immunization and Respiratory Diseases. Dr. Romero, thanks for speaking with us. Thank you for having me. Let's bring two new voices into the conversation. Dr. Celine Gounder is an infectious disease specialist and epidemiologist. She's also the senior fellow and editor-at-large for public health at the Kaiser Family Foundation and Kaiser Health News. Dr. Gounder, it's great to have you back. Great to be here. Also with us is Dr. Walter Orenstein. He's a professor of medicine, epidemiology, and global health at Emory University. He was the director of the United States Immunization Program from 1988 to 2004. Dr. Orenstein, it's great to have you on the program. Thank you for having me. As epidemiologists who've been in this field for decades, what was your initial reaction to hearing about this new polio outbreak? Dr. Gounder, I'll come to you first. We were so close to eradicating polio around the world. Uh, it remains endemic in Pakistan and Afghanistan, but even very difficult terrain like India, like Nigeria, we managed to er uh, eliminate polio. And the fact that we were not able to get this over the finish line is just a, a really sad testament to what's happened to public health over the last couple of years. Dr. Orenstein, what about for you? I think what is really concerning is transmission when we have a highly effective and very safe vaccine to prevent it. And people for whom vaccines are recommended need to be vaccinated. We've been trying to eradicate polio globally since 1988. And we, as Dr. Gounder said, we've made tremendous progress, but uh, we need to finish the task. And as long as polio continues to circulate in the world, we run the risk of introductions into the U.S. and paralytic cases. So I think it's very important that we not only get our population vaccinated, but we support vaccination efforts around the world to finally get rid of polio as we did with smallpox. And we don't have to worry about smallpox anymore. Uh, Dr. Gounder, a lot of people didn't grow up with this disease and, and are learning about it now. How is polio contracted? 
So it's a oral fecal route, which means that you have uh, fecal contamination, stool or uh, feces contamination of water, of uh, food, on your hands, perhaps, and then it's uh, ingested through the mouth and it sets up shop in your gut, in your intestines, and then comes back out um, in your feces when you have a bowel movement. And how transmissible is polio? It is quite transmissible. um, And especially in places where you have poor hygiene, uh, poor sanitation, uh, and where, of course, vaccination rates are low. So if someone contracts polio, if they're symptomatic, what are those early symptoms associated with infection? So the symptoms can be confused with many other infectious um, conditions. Uh, For example, gastroenteritis, Uh, you get a fever, chills, uh, muscle aches, uh, diarrhea. Uh, So, of course, that overlaps with any number of things, uh, including the flu itself. Now, Dr. Orenstein, the body can react to polio in multiple ways, and one of those ways is becoming paralyzed. What happens in that case? What happens is the polio virus invades a cell, particularly in the spinal cord, called the anterior horn cell. And this is the cell that tells the muscles what to do. And it's like cutting the wires to a lamp. If you cut the wires, the lamp doesn't work at all. And what happens is the muscles that are innervated by this particular cell that is destroyed become flaccid. You cannot use them. And that's, and it, it's, it's almost always permanent damage. And it's very uh, concerning. And clearly now with vaccines, we can prevent this. How common is paralytic polio? Paralytic polio is usually less than one in 200 infections. About a quarter of the, uh, about uh, 72% of the infections have no symptoms whatsoever. That's why if you get polio, you often won't know where you got it from. And about a quarter of them have the um, minor illness, a mild illness that Dr. Gounder was, uh, was talking about. But the actual paralytic is very rare, but is totally preventable if people get vaccinated. Well, and as I shared earlier in the program, my dad had polio. And and later in life, he seemed to undergo this, this, I don't want to call it a second wave, but his muscles just got increasingly weak as he aged. What's the long-term impact of the disease, especially with people suffering from paralytic polio? Well, you have to go through quite a bit of rehab. Um, If you think about President um, FDR, uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, he remained in a wheelchair the rest of his life, did not regain function of his legs. So some of it is um, strengthening other muscles to compensate. Um, He was famously um, very well built from the waist up. Um, having to compensate with his arms and his, um, his torso, um, and figuring out new ways of doing things. Um, so, you know, that's a lot of what this is about is really that rehabilitation. Barbie emails, I have a friend who isn't getting vaccinated for COVID because he had polio as a child in the early 1950s. Any basis for this, Dr. Gounder? What can you tell us? Oh, there's really no basis for that. These are separate conditions. Uh, the immune response is separate. If you had polio in the in the early 50s, so that would have been prior to vaccination being available for polio. Um, getting COVID vaccine is not going to cause a reactivation 
Um, and uh, getting COVID vaccine is very safe in that setting. And when, when we first started using a polio vaccine in the 1950s, what form of the vaccine were we using at that time? So it's the injectable form that came out first. Um, so that would be the killed form. And then later, the oral form, which is the live weakened form, uh, came out. That one was uh, had an advantage in that it prevents transmission. But the live uh, vaccine, the oral vaccine, does have the risk of causing paralysis in something like one out of every six million doses. So we in the U.S. have stopped using the live form of the vaccine and, and now only use the injectable form. Now, there's a lot of language around the country's polio status, like polio-free, elimination, and eradication. I, I've heard uh, both of you, you know, be very careful about the language you're using. What does it mean to be polio-free in the U.S.? And I mean, are we still considered polio-free considering these new cases, Dr. Gounder? So elimination means that we've stopped transmission here in the U- U.S., um, that all the polio you're seeing is reintroduced from the outside. So at least for now, um, we do seem to still be, um, have, have eliminated polio, but it remains to be seen if it stays that way. When we talk about eradication, that means there is no ongoing transmission of the virus anywhere in the world. Uh, and we have not gotten to that point yet. Well, here's a question we got from several of you. I would like to know whether a long-ago polio vaccine will still protect. I was vaccinated back in the 1950s when the vaccine first came out. I remember lining up for the vaccination. There was a big, long line. My husband and I are preparing to go on a trip. Both of us were vaccinated in the 1960s, and we're told we were fully protected. My question is, do we now need a polio booster, or are we, in fact, still protected? Does it matter if part of our vaccination regime was by injection and the other half was oral. Given the reemergence of polio in the community, I would like to find out if people who have received the polio immunization many years ago, even 50 years for some of us, uh, should they consider getting a booster? Paul, Heidi, Greg, thanks for leaving us those messages. Dr. Ornstein, is the vaccine still effective for people who got it decades ago? The vaccine appears to be long-term effective. Uh, There are recommendations for once-in-a-lifetime boosters uh, for people who are at particularly higher risk. So, for example, if you're traveling to a country uh, which is uh, having uh, polio, such as uh, Afghanistan and Pakistan, uh, a one-time boost is, is recommended. If you're working in a laboratory or healthcare setting uh, that might be handling uh, uh, specimens contaminated by polio viruses, a booster is recommended. And if you're a healthcare worker who is taking care of people with polio or potentially with polio, a one-time booster may be recommended. At the moment, we are not recommending boosters for everybody. And so, but certainly at the moment, vaccine appears to be very effective and very long term effectiveness. So, what I hear you saying is this has more to do with the likelihood of exposure than it does to do with specific uh, health risk factors that may make you more susceptible to polio. Is that accurate? Exactly. 
Uh, to Heidi's question, does it matter that she got the oral vaccine for part of her series and the injection for the other? No, it is fine to get those in combination. She should be protected. Uh, extra doses are not recommended in that particular case if they got the recommended total number of doses. So, Dr. Gounder, does it hurt to just go ahead and get vaccinated again? It wouldn't harm you to get an additional dose of vaccine. Uh, I remember probably 10, 20 years ago when I was doing global health work, uh, including travel to parts of Africa, India, where polio at that time was still transmitting, I was given an um, injectable polio vaccine booster. Um, it's not going to harm you um, if you're, say, a healthcare provider who is caring for patients um, where there is an outbreak of polio. But I don't think it's broadly necessary. We're discussing the polio outbreak in New York and what it means for the country's 40-year polio-free status. We'll be back with more from you and our guests in just a moment. Let's get back to the conversation with this message from Daniel, who says, I led a group of Rotarians to Ethiopia, where we vaccinated 500 kids against polio. I saw horribly disabled folks there. In Uganda, I helped a polio victim get in a wheelchair, but her legs were so twisted, her toes caught in the spokes. I saw folks drag themselves using sandals on their hands, and they put cardboard under their knees to avoid abrasion. The whole experience took me weeks to get over. In Georgia, we rank sixth from the bottom in polio vaccinations of those in kindergarten, according to the CDC. I hope parents get their kids vaccinated to avoid this preventable tragedy. Dr. Gounder, much of the focus when it comes to polio is on children. Why are children particularly vulnerable? Well, children have uh, not previously been exposed or vaccinated. So if this is your first time encountering the virus, uh, your risk of developing paralytic polio is higher. But it's not just children who can get this. You know, going back to um, President Roosevelt, FDR, he contracted polio later in life um, and still developed uh paralytic polio. It's really a question of do you have pre-existing immunity at the time you encounter the virus or not? And when we talk about the risk for adults, we have a lot of people uh, sharing stories about post-polio syndrome. Explain what that is. Well, you can have one, first of all, um, because you have uh, paralysis of the limb, you have atrophy of the limb, you can develop contractures of the muscles. So where the muscles are tightened up and scarred down in a sense. Uh, so you lose even more mobility as a result. And then in rare cases, you can also have reactivation of the polio where you have um, a relapse, so to speak, and additional damage to the nervous system. Now, we've talked a bit about um, the two different types of polio vaccine. We got this message in our inbox. You said there was a few cases. Now, are they wild polio cases or are they vaccine related? Because I know the uh, oral vaccine is a, is a live vaccine. So, Dr. Ornstein, I think this is a good place to, again, remind people of the distinction between wild polio cases and those that are related to the oral vaccine the U.S. stopped using after 2000, but it is still used in other countries. Just explain that. Yes. What it is, is the wild virus is the original virus. There are three types, one, two, and three. And the, what we're seeing now is type two problem. Type two wild virus has been eradicated globally. We don't see it. The oral vaccine is very safe, but 
not completely safe. And what has happened around the world is we have seen emergence of these circulating vaccine-derived polioviruses, type 2. In uh, in the World Health Organization uh, mentions 12 countries with over 219 cases in this year alone as of August 16th. The paralysis is similar with this circulating vaccine-derived virus or the oral or the wild virus. So we need to break the chains of transmission, and we could do that in countries like the U.S. by getting more of our population vaccinated. But the oral vaccine in general is very safe, but not completely safe, and that's why in 2000 we decided to change and go to an all inactivated polio vaccine or all salt polio vaccine effort in the United States. If the majority of polio cases come from the oral vaccine, why are some countries still using it? Okay, what it is is there are three different polio strains and you need to induce immunity against all three. Uh, One, two, and three. And what type two component uh, is very, very effective. And the last case of polio caused by the wild type 2 virus was in 1999 in India. In 2016, a decision was made to take the type 2 component out of the vaccine used routinely, primarily in low and middle income countries. And what happened, though, is there was enough of the vaccine around that it led to generation of these circulating vaccine-derived poliovirus type 2s. And this, these are, are vaccine viruses that mutate and take on the characteristics of wild viruses. So they're equivalent to wild viruses. And that's the problem we're seeing now. We don't have any concerns with that, with the inactivated polio vaccine, and that's why we use it. And what has happened is a safer type 2 vaccine has been developed called novel OPV2, which is being used to try and stop this transmission in the low and middle income countries. We got this question from Dean who asks, does the polio virus mutate at a significant rate? Are there variants which result in altered contagiousness? Dr. Gamder? Well, what we're seeing is the, as well, as Dr. Ornstein was describing, with the vaccine-derived strains of polio, if it is allowed to spread, which is exactly what has happened in Rockland County in New York, is that it has the risk of reverting back, of mutating back into a disease-causing form. And so that does happen with some low frequency. Um, And and so that is certainly a risk. Um, It is not that the wild polio viruses are getting uh, more disease-causing, more virulent. It's that the vaccine-derived polio virus, if allowed to spread in a population that does not have immunity, does have this risk of reverting back. I think also just to sort of go back to the question of why are some countries using oral live polio vaccine, 
think about if you're trying to vaccinate thousands, millions of kid in a, kids in a mass vaccination campaign, it's a lot easier to administer drops, perhaps on a sugar cube, as some folks might remember, than having to give injections. So that's one major issue. The other one is that one of the positives of the oral polio vaccine it is a live vaccine and it can spread to other people. That can be a positive in that you may not have to uh, directly vaccinate everybody. Uh, you may have this spillover effect to other people around that child who's vaccinated. And in particular, in places where you may have difficulty reaching everybody in places like Pakistan, Afghanistan, where a lot of your population is nomadic, doesn't have routine access to health care. Um, maybe in very rural areas, that is a benefit. Um, and it's and a so, benefit because you're talking about a weakened strain of the virus? Right. So as you know, you could, what happens is that weakened strain can then transmit onward to other people around that vaccinated child. So in a sense, you're vaccinating even more people than you would have um, with the injectable, which does not spill over to other people. So there, there are trade-offs here, and it really depends on the setting, uh, what the population immunity is, uh, what the level of hygiene and sanitation is, and, and what the level of poliovirus transmission is. And that's how you make the decision as to which vaccine to use. Krista writes, when I heard Jen say her father contracted polio and she witnessed its effect, I sat upright and wanted to yell at the radio, me too. My father contracted polio in 1928 when he was two years old. He was sent to a school for quote unquote crippled and defective children, which was operated by nuns. He spent 13 years there undergoing various surgeries that fused his ankle, removed his calf and created a noticeable limp. He passed away 18 years ago, but if he were alive, the reintroduction of polio would surely cause a great deal of anxiety, whether from revived memories or from unknown possibilities. Krista, thanks for sharing that. My father's memories of that time are, are vague, but what he does remember is when he left home, he was the youngest child in his, in his family. He was hospitalized for long enough that when he came home, he had a younger brother who was old enough to stand and walk on his own. That's how far he, how long he was away from his family. Dr. Gounder, when we talk about eradication or, or elimination of polio globally, what are the biggest barriers to that? Well, the biggest barriers are simply, can we vaccinate everybody who needs to be vaccinated? And that might sound like a very simple thing, but if you look at where polio um, remains endemic, so Afghanistan, Pakistan, these are very difficult places to get out and vaccinate people. Um, some of these areas are mountainous, rural. You also have um, issues of suspicion around vaccines, something that should be familiar to many Americans now, having gone through the COVID pandemic. A lot of people are skeptical as to whether vaccines work, whether they can cause disease. And to be very clear, the polio vaccines are safe and effective, as are the COVID vaccines. But, you know, I think one um, incident that also set us back, this goes back to the capture of Osama bin Laden, the CIA used the cover of hepatitis B vaccination as a way to get blood samples from relatives of Osama bin Laden. And now people are very suspicious of vaccination, thinking that maybe this is some sort of uh, CIA plot. There are others who are concerned about vaccination and fertility. This is a common refrain that comes up with um, vac vaccine skeptics. 
Um, and similarly, you have uh, concerns in Afghanistan and Pakistan about whether polio vaccine might cause issues with infertility. That's Dr. Celine Gounder. She's an infectious disease specialist and epidemiologist. She's also the senior fellow and editor-at-large for public health at the Kaiser Family Foundation and Kaiser Health News. Also with us, Dr. Walter Ornstein. He's a professor of medicine, epidemiology, and global health at Emory University. He was the director of the United States Immunization Program from 1988 to 2004. Dr. Gounder, Dr. Ornstein, thanks to you both. And thanks to all of you for your stories and questions. Today's producer was Haley Blassingame. This program comes to you from WAMU, part of American University in Washington, distributed by NPR. I'm Jen White. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk more soon. This is 1A.